Welcome to the Rooted Legacy Podcast. At Laurel Branch Church of God, we are devoted to developing an environment of engagement with Yahweh and hosting His presence attentively. Our hope is to help others become rooted in beloved identity and further the kingdom of God on this earth. From Pastor Seth Klein and the congregation at Laurel Branch Church of God, we hope this message brightens your day and changes your life. We pray that God blesses you and all that you do. Thanks for listening. Good morning. I'm going to add, and that's just, if you're surprised, I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to add more to the revelation of grace today. We may talk about all some of the stuff that we've covered over the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to uh, cover Romans chapter 6, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, I'll start with verse 1, and we'll just end where we end at this morning. But one thing that I've come to know that I believe that the Father has, has taught me over the last, the last year, say the last six months, maybe the last eight months. Let's go eight months. That we do not fully understand, we do not fully comprehend the revelation of His grace. And I think that often we will claim to serve a, an, an unlimited God, a limitless God, a God that is capable of, of, of everything and anything, a God that, that uh, has the capability of taking impossibilities and making them possibilities. But when it comes to the subject of grace or when it comes to the application of grace, uh, we kind of, you know, in our minds, handcuff God from being able to accomplish what he said his grace was to accomplish. And the scriptures uh, affirm to us that his grace is sufficient, that in weakness, his, his strength is made strong. You know, his, even in weakness, his, his, his grace, his strength is made perfect. Uh, and so I think we misunderstand and we misappropriately appropriately. Uh, we misappropriately comprehend the depth and the impact and the potency of his grace. So I want to talk a little bit more about that. And it's not really, we're not leaving the parable or the revelation or the reality of the prodigal son, but we will back, come back and forth and revisit that prodigal son revelation on and off throughout this, uh, this journey or this walk that God has got us on together. So... <clears throat> One thing that I want to say is grace is more than a pardon. We, we have viewed grace as though it's nothing but simply and merely a pardon that God says, okay, I'm releasing you from the obligation of your, uh, your sins. I'm releasing you from the obligation of the sentence. I'm releasing you from the obligation of the wages of that sin, but yet you're still going to be associated, identified, and recognized by the sin. That's not what grace is. Grace does not just pardon you from the obligation of that sin and the wages of that sin. But the grace of God is a power to re-identify the sinner. Thus, no longer sinner, you are most certainly my son, says the Father. 
You know, I, I'm a sinner. I sinned against you and God, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And the father interjects and says, you are my son, and basically says you're no longer a sinner. So the grace of God being bestowed upon the individual literally transitions that individual from a reality of thinking themselves as a sinner and no more worthy to into the transition of you are most definitely, you are most certainly my son, and all of those sins are no longer forgot, for, they're no longer remembered. We've got to understand that grace says to humanity forgiven, grace says to the sins of humanity forgotten. Okay, you can make the choice if you so desire to keep continuing to live within those sins that God has chosen to forgotten and keeping a, a, an ever constant reminder both for him, him and yourself. You can do that if you want to. But I'm telling you that that's wrong and that you're messing up and that you have the wrong idea that the power of, of grace not only re-identifies you and removes you from the association and removes you from the constant reminder of that sin, but it also empowers you with, with, with the ability to overcome the temptation of all the sins that has ever been brought before you, from all the sins that have ever been tempted with you. It gives you the power to overcome the temptation of sin. You're no longer identified by the sin. You're no longer tempted by the sin. I almost said temptified right there, by the way, because it sounded cool and it rhymed, but I know temptified's not a word, at least I don't think it is. So I believe the, we, we say grace, grace. Well, God gave me grace. God gave me grace. Listen, grace is a power, and it is also a protection. I tell people all the time, I said, the only reason I haven't punched you in the face right now is because of the grace of God. God's protected them. You know what I mean? You know, we, we see people that come out of a wreck where we know they should have probably been mangled and torn all to pieces and they come out of a, an absolute horrendous wreck with not even a scratch on them. And we said, but it was by the grace of God. Amen. So the grace of God, even though we don't really realize it, we understand the grace of God as being a protection from God, okay? And it's provision. It's God protecting me from things that should have taken my life, and it's God providing me with things that make my life more abundant. The grace of God is far greater than just a pardon for him saying, okay, I excuse you for those sins, Huh? It's not an excuse from sins. It's an exoneration from those sins. An exoneration is when you go to court and you're proven not guilty of sins that maybe you have already been previously convicted of. Do you understand the difference here? You have committed the sins that Christ Jesus went to the cross and bore within his own body and he took away your punishment. It's more than just a pardon. See, it's not, you got to understand that when Christ was on the cross and he bore the sins of all of humanity, God cast his judgment upon him. He bare your sins and he took your cross and he endured your punishment. And I'm telling you today that that revelation has caused me not to, not, not to take the grace of God for granted because I realize that it should have been me and rightfully so. You can't, listen, if you can, if you can nonchalantly treat somebody that loved you the way that Jesus loves you as a piece of trash, then there may be no hope for you, but the only hope for you is the Holy Spirit. 
I see people who, who go to church, they go to church at week in and week out, but they treat the grace of God as though it's just a piece of trash. They, they, they throw it down, they kick it around, they take it for granted. I'm telling you that yes, the grace of God has released you from the consequences of your sin, but it has given you the power to no longer be tempted by the same sins that has captivated you for the, 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 the rest of your life or the, your entire life. It's, it's a power. It's more than a pardon. But I'm telling you right now that it is greater. It, is more, it, is, it, is, it, has, it should have a greater value in your life than just to take it for granted and just to throw it around and kick it around as though, you know, Jesus paid it all. Listen, I am adamant that Jesus paid it all, but I am just as adamant that you can screw it all up. I'm just as adamant that if you continue to blatantly live in sin, Hmm? If you blatantly choose to live in sin. Now listen, I know there's people out there. I'm gonna, listen, you've got to understand that there are certain circumstances and there are consequences. Listen, there's got to be progressive healings. There's got to be progressive overcomings. But, but my thing is, when I see somebody that is progressively trying, they're trying. But when I see people who are blatantly who blatantly refuse to try. You've got to understand there's two totally different things going on right here. I'm talking about people who, who, who uh, become conceited and condescending towards others. People who think that grace is only applicable to their lives and not applicable to anybody else's lives. But listen, when, when you start judging people uh, and you start withholding the grace of God from people simply because maybe they don't dress the way that you would approve of or maybe they don't have the same type of car or lifestyle or maybe they don't have a job or maybe they can't pay tithes as faithfully as you can. Listen, we do not have the right to withhold grace from anyone. Let me prove it to you. It is a free gift given from God. Therefore, you have no authority or say so over whom the grace of God is extended to or who it isn't extended to. And the grace of God is given and it is extended to all of humanity, all of mankind, to every ethnicity, to every race, to every gender, to every homosexual preference, to every heterosexual preference. Listen, I cannot withhold the grace of God from anyone, even if they do not live to, up to my standard and up to my preferences, I would so see fit that they should live. So therefore, it is also my, uh, my responsibility to pray for the grace of God. Listen, I, I, the Sunday school lesson said something very, very, very significant this morning that really just affirms what I'm about to say to you or what I'm trying to say to you. Abraham understood the grace of God that was bestowed upon his life. He understood that it was the grace of God that signed and confirmed the covenant that he had with God. He understood that it was the grace of God that allowed him to approach God and even boldly negotiate for the well-being of 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. You, you see that the grace of God is so much more than just a pardon. It is a power. It is a permission. You, he will permiss, per, he is, it's permissible for you then to come and to 
to commune and even negotiate with God. Or the Bible, the Sunday school lesson called it, you know, intercession. But, but it said something, it said this. It said that Abraham understood the grace of God that he had been given and therefore wanted that same grace to be extended to even the evil within Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham knew that Sodom and Gomorrah was plagued with evil. He knew that it was plagued with wickedness. He began to negotiate with 50 and 40 or 45 and 50 and he got all the way down to 10. But he was negotiating that if, if he could find 10, he would spare the entire city. Not rescue that 10 and then destroy the city. He wanted the same grace to be extended to the community which was plagued with homosexuality, was plagued. Listen, do you know that Lot tried to offer his daughters to the anger? Do you know that the mob wasn't necessarily angry, but they were certainly aroused? They were wanting to have relationships with the angels that had came to Lot's house. And Lot tried to preserve or he tried to protect the angels and give them his young daughter. So it was perverted. I'm sure Jeffrey Epstein would have loved to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he didn't hang himself either. Just saying. Pedophilia, homosexuality, bestiality, all of these sexual perversions was running rampant in Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham was, was negotiating that God extend the same grace. And I'm, the reason I say that this morning is I have prayed and I have been taught to pray and I have seen a trend of churches coming together and they adamantly pray for God to send His judgment into their community and rid it from all the wicked and all the evil and all the unjust and everything that is plaguing their community. But there's something different about the way that Abraham... Abraham knew that justice was on its way but he was, he was interceding for grace. And if we would begin to turn our prayers from God send your judgment that we would begin to pray God send your grace and send your goodness. Turn them from their wicked ways because we know that it is the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. Listen, I, I, I don't, I tell you all the time, I don't listen to a whole lot of people. I just don't have a whole lot of time. But a couple of months ago, Probably about a year ago, I tried to listen to a little bit of Mike Bickle. I listened to one episode, and it was a it was a series, but I didn't go back and listen to the rest of it. But one thing I took from that was, okay, he pastors IHOP, International House of Prayer. They have had 24-7, 365 days a year of prayer for over 30 years. Listen to what I said. They would not missed one day. You go ahead and do the math. It's too big of a number for me to calculate. But 365 times 30, that's a lot of days. And they didn't miss one. One. Not an hour of prayer. 24 hours of constant prayer for 30 years. And he started teaching his people. He started finding answers in the Bible that he stopped directing his prayer intercessors to pray for things that were adamant or the things that were, were obvious and predominant. And here, here's an example. He, he told his prayer people to stop praying 
if for an example, that somebody's sins would be exposed. Because their sins are already known. And we know that the biblical truth is that all things done in the dark will be exposed by the light. He told them to start praying for the goodness of God and for the grace of God to begin to change their hearts. Begin to pray for them in such a way that he yearned and he was sincere in seeking for their hearts to change. Not for their hearts to be hardened and for them to suffer the consequence of their sins and the judgment of God. But just as Abraham did, he did not pray for God to go ahead with his judgment. But he began to intercede on the lives of people. Listen, I want to tell you today that regardless of how evil someone is, God still loves them and there's a soul that can be rescued. I don't care how heinous it is. I don't even want to talk about it. But I'm telling you right now that the grace of God is greater than my intellectual judgment of somebody. Um, listen, I don't want to talk about evil people. Me and myself, I don't want to even fathom or think that there might have been a hope that people like that could have gotten a, a, a chance. But the God in me and the Spirit in me and the Spirit that leads me tells me that there is always a hope and there's always a chance because the grace of God is sufficient. And the reality of the matter is that if God could save me through His grace, then He could save anyone. If He could save you that are sitting here today, He could save anyone. And He can save anyone in a fraction or a millisecond of their time of their lives. Listen, there's always that hope. And that, the grace of God is that potent. It is that powerful. It is that magnificent. It is that miraculous. Prove it. Every time someone accepts the grace of God, it changes who they are. It changes who they are, whether they accept the change or not. Listen, you can, still rem you can still dwell in your past sins if you want to. That's a choice you made, but he chose to forget them, and I suggest you do also. Listen, I know people that if they, didn't, if they couldn't preach about how they used to be, they wouldn't have anything to preach about. I know many preaching or traveling evangelists, honey, that go from one church to the other church to tell everybody just how bad they were and just how much God, how much God brought them from. But I'm going to tell you something. God brought me so far away from some of my trash, I can't even turn around and look at it if I wanted to. I can't. Listen, it's, not, it's, it's so far away from who I am, it's not even worth to be remembered. So therefore, it's not worth to be reminding you of how bad I was. I don't need reminded of it and you don't need reminded of it. Here's what, here's the, the grace of God is that which follows them that believes. And it's the, it's the grace of God that is bestowed upon the man and the woman that believes upon him that has the ability to also use that grace to perform the miracles and the signs and the wonders that the Bible talks about. Listen, it's, I want you to understand that people say, well, brother, he's anointed. If he's anointed, it's because he carries a grace. Because he's operating in a grace. As you've been freely given, so freely give. As you've been so freely given, so freely give. 
It's the grace of God that has been given unto me freely. So it's the grace of God that I give to those that listen freely. Or to those when I lay hands on them, it is a gift given freely. But it's still the gift from God. And I can't, I cannot determine and I cannot distinguish and I cannot withhold. I'm not the one that begin I'm not the one that can release the power on my own power, but it's the power of God. Listen, it's his gift and he gives it freely. And who am I to judge who should get it and who shouldn't? Well, you know, Daddy uh, all these years I've spent with you and I've never transgressed against you and I've done all that you've commanded me to do and I've I went out and I've tended all the fields and I I, I, I administrated all the, the, the servants that were coming and going and I made sure that everything was together and I made sure that, and so, but you never went and killed one of the fatted calves with me. Listen, I'm telling you that he should have been just as ecstatic that the son had came home as was the father, but he wasn't because he was trying to, to determine and he was listen he was trying to justify whether or not that that prodigal son was worthy of the grace that the father had bestowed upon him and because he was looking at it from a religious perspective could not find justification newsflash everything he told daddy that he had done was not justification either he was not worthy of the grace either But even when you look at this, the, the parable, he releases a grace upon him. I think a grace that even the son, the religious son, the elder son, didn't even fathom. He said, but you've been with me all this time and all that is mine is yours. He missed the grace in that statement. All that is mine is yours. Amen. Amen. So, I mean, you got to understand, there's... There, the grace of God is the power to transition you from one reality to another reality wholly. W-H-O-L-L-E-Y. Completely and fully. Amen. The, the woman with the issue of blood says to herself, if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I will be made whole. Say whole with me. The word whole literally means to be complete. It means to be full. It means to be without, uh, without impartiality or without impartial. With, it, to be completely and fully together. Not impart. Excuse me, my definitions are, are a little bit uh, sometimes not made up, but paraphrased in, in my lamest terms. But to be made whole is to be made complete and to be made full. There's nothing in part. There's nothing fragmented. There's nothing fractioned. There's nothing fractured. It's all together. It's all whole. So we're living in a reality that is in part, but he is transitioning us to a reality that is in whole. How many of you want the whole piece of the pie? That's me too. I don't, want, I don't want a fraction of the grace that God has bestowed upon me. I don't want a, a partial piece of the pie that he's bestowed upon me. I want the whole grace of God and I want the grace of God in its entirety. So I've got to understand and in understanding allow the grace of God to transition me 
from an impotent reality to the most potent reality. It takes me from my, in, in, my incompetency to my competency. It takes me from my weakness to his strength. He is the one. It's the grace of God that transitions me from what the world has given me and it takes me into a reality of all that he has given me and that is heaven and earth. Amen. Let me read some stuff here, man. And we'll hurry and maybe get through this. Uh, I'm approaching 30 minutes, so y'all give me another 35 and we might be done, okay? So let me, let me read Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 10 again. Uh, Peter says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we be this day... If we be this if if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, say impotent man. Now say this with me. By what means he is made whole. He went from one reality to another reality fully and completely. He was made whole. Okay? Be it known unto you all. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. By the grace of God, this man who was an impotent man now stands before you made whole. The grace of God transitions you from one reality, an impotent reality, to another reality, holy and fully. It brings you into a reality of altogether perfect and full and... I don't know another word I'm looking for. Completely together, in whole. But we hang on to the impartialities of who we were. You cannot preach, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are made new. If you do not believe in the full restoration of your reality and who you are in and by of the grace of God. Here's the problem with the church is we believe, we just don't believe fully. We believe, but we begin to put stipulations on what God can and cannot do. We believe the grace of God, but we are the, mo we are the most guilty for putting stipulations and standards on what the grace of God can accomplish and what it can't. Well, brother, I don't know. Listen, I have been in conversations where somebody down the road got saved and somebody that preaches the gospel on a regular basis, that preaches the grace of God, would, would begin to interject and say, well, you know, I just, I will wait and see. Oh, they do that about every three years. Oh, they come to church and they'll serve, they'll, they'll attend church faithfully for about three months and then they'll, they'll find themselves back in the bar or, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get saved and three months later they're back on the bottle or they'll get saved three months later they're back out on the streets doing drugs again or they'll get saved because they got caught in a, an affair and then once the, the wife forgives them and then uh, they're, they're back cheating with their mistress again and all this and stuff. Listen, come on. Uh, you... By doing that, in most cases, 
We are speaking curses and we are making, uh, making the grace of God insufficient when he says it is absolutely sufficient. Hmm? What if the grace of God in your life is to pray that the same grace bestowed upon you is bestowed upon the man that you said wouldn't last three months? What if that's the grace of God? And well, how do I do that? Well, I'm going to tell you something. There's a grace for that too. Because see, in your weakness, His strength is made perfect because His grace is sufficient. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of things that God will call you to do that you just simply can't do it. But He gives you a grace. Hmm? We'll say all the time, God won't put no more on you than you can bear. I'm telling you right now, do you know how you bear it? Jesus and the grace of God. Have you ever been given a, a, a word that God has called you to pray for somebody you did not even particularly like? He'll do it. And you're like, you will argue with God. You'll negotiate with God. You have the right to do that because you live in covenant with God. But God has already extended and provided a grace for you to be able to overcome your, uh, your reservation and your reluctance. And he'll, he'll, He gives you a grace to overcome even maybe your, 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 your religious judgment that you're casting. He gives you a grace to overcome that so that you can intercede for that person. So that this time it's not three months. This time it's forever. Amen? Amen. Well, God is, God is in charge. But you know, yeah, maybe if we really believe that. And that we believe that sometimes God would use men to fulfill his purpose. And sometimes when God uses men, he uses men like you and women like you. Not us, sorry. Men and women like us all, let me say it that way. There's a grace for that. Grace is a power. It's a potency. Grace is extended. Hmm? You know, when some of the apostles said, by the grace given to me, they were literally talking about the power and the authority and the charge that was given to them. Listen, God will not give you a purpose without providing you with the necessity to fulfill that purpose and it comes by way of grace. Amen? So the impotent man was in one reality, but he stood before them in an entirely different reality because he had been made whole. The woman with the issue of blood touched his garment. Virtue left his body and she had been made whole. He says, woman, be of good cheer for thy faith had made thee whole. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. Not by works. It is a free gift of God lest any man should boast. And I know I've switched that up a little bit. But it is a free gift. It is given of God. It is given freely. And it is given abundantly. And we have an issue within the Church of America today of trying 
to distinguish and differentiate to whom grace is bestowed and who it isn't. Amen. So I'm going I'm to go ahead and skip a few things here. I know that we've talked about a lot of this. Uh, I'm going to set my notes aside and I want to read from the scriptures here a little bit. I'm going to start with Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read uh, down to at least Ephesians chapter 9. I'm going to start with verse 1 and go to verse 9, and then I'm going to move over to Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to start there again. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation, but when I get to Romans chapter 6, I'm going to read it from both. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. I'm going to read to at least chapter, verse 9, excuse me. You stay with verse 1. I'm going to, I'm going to jump up uh, to verse 23 of, of chapter 1. And it says, And now we, his church, are his body on the earth and that which fills him who is being filled by it. And his fullness fills you. Say fullness. fullness. Say wholeness. wholeness. Same difference. And his fullness fills you even though you were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs, and values of this world. Obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living our living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like anyone else. But God still loved us with such a great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us unto the very life of Christ, into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Even when you were in sin, God was providing a grace unto you. Listen, I'm telling you right now that the son in the pig pen walked a road called repentance, but it was paid by the way of grace. You understand what I'm saying? He walked the road of repentance, but it was, it was, it was the, the, the way was paved by grace. He come down by the way of grace and he come to an encounter with the Father. Listen, and I'm going to tell you that the Father made that way for him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen, you can't come through the place of repentance without walking the paid path of grace. And you can't find the repentance without the paid path of grace. Listen, you can't have one without the other. Even when you were a sinner, even today, there's already been a grace that has been provided for you. There is a power that has already been given to you. God has already made the way, made you capable and given you the ability and made it permissible by the way of grace. Grace is so much more than what we have deemed it to be. We have, we have offended 
God by our lack of understanding of His grace. By our lack of, and our incompetency of being able to handle His grace. Hmm? Listen, I will tell you, I will be the first to tell you, grace is not a license for you to sin freely, but it is a protection, it is a provision, and it is a potency for you to be free from sins. It doesn't give you the power to live freely in your sins. It gives you the power to live free from your sins. You understand the difference. And yet it does both. But we got to, put, we got to stop putting a greater em- emphasis on, oh, it gives, me the power to, it gives me the power to just, you know, live as I wish. It doesn't give you the power to live as you wish. It gives you the power to live as a pleasure to God, and I'll prove it with the scriptures here. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of the grace of His grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again, and I want you to listen to what it says. Throughout the coming ages, that would include us, because we are a part of the coming ages beyond this particular moment that Paul is talking about. So we are a part of the coming ages or the ages beyond this point. But what does it say about us? Throughout the coming ages, we will, say we will, be the visible display, be the visible display of the infinite limitless riches of his grace and kindness. Do you understand that you are to be an expression of the grace of God? Abraham was expression of an expression of the grace of God. We are to be as Abraham and be an expression of the grace of God and faithful to the covenant that we live in God with. Amen. Amen. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Grace and faith. Faith and grace. Right? For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. It's not not by works, lest any man should boast. But it was the gracious gift of God, of his grace, that we were come or that we were brought to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast for salvation. It is, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. We can't brag about it. The prodigal son came. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the, the, the magnitude of grace that was bestowed upon him is unfathomable. Then all of a sudden the elder son comes up. And he thinks that the grace of God can be earned. It can be counted. And I've done all of these things that are greater than what he's ever done. And yet you've not, listen, but we got to understand, we miss the grace that is bestowed upon the elder son because we're much like the elder son. And it wasn't that it was bestowed upon him then. It had been bestowed upon him forever. He said, you've been with me always and all that is mine is yours. 
He was so blind to the grace of his father that he was unable to see that all the father possessed was his own. He was so blind. Listen to what I'm about to say. He was so blind that he could not see that the grace of God was actually the presence of God. You've been with me always. Somebody better catch it. I don't know if y'all hear me this morning. He was so blind that he did not recognize that the grace of his father was the presence of his father. And the father says, you've been with me always. You've always been in my presence. Everything that comes with me is yours and you've not even known it. We're much like that kid, right? We're much like that guy. We're so oblivious to the grace of God. And we, we, we so do not understand the potency of the grace of God that we fail to see it, even in, even in its most simplistic form. The grace of God is the presence of God. The presence of God possesses all that is His, and all that is His in His presence is mine. That's how simple it is. That's how simple it is, but we, we, we make ourselves so confused and we confound it because we try to complicate it in such a way. Do you see what I, do, do, you, do you see that with me this morning? You've been with me always. You've always been in my presence and that's my grace. All that is mine is yours and that is my grace. It's presence, it's provision, and it's protection. And we are so blind that we cannot see it. But we're living in the presence of God and we undervalue His grace. Let's go to chapter 6 of Romans. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to start reading with verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It's a question mark. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Let me ask you a question. How does this, how does this apply to the prodigal son, the revelation of the prodigal son? When he comes down the road of repentance that had been paid by the way of grace, he encounters the presence of his father, he says, I am a sinner and I am no more worthy to be called your son. And he says these words, this my son who was dead, but now lives again, who was lost, but is now found. This is a picture of all of humanity before sin and then there is a picture of humanity or before grace and beyond grace and beyond grace is a never it's never moving away from grace but it's moving into a deeper reality of grace okay and i hope that maybe i can help you understand that a little bit better that's kind of a vague 
uh, description there for a minute. But you've got to understand that the father under, the father knew that in his sins, he was a dead man. But by the power of grace, which is the presence of God, he was a living man, living again. You see this? And he understood that while he was in the world and he was living a riotous lifestyle, he was most definitely lost because he did not know who he was and he did not know whose he was. We've all heard that, right? Brother, you better know who you are and whose you are. Glory to God. Amen. Well, I'm not making fun of it. I'm telling you today, you better know who you are and whose you are and where you belong. And you don't belong in the world. You belong in the presence of God and you belong in a place where you live with residing within the grace of God. And there is a different reality on that side of grace and on that side of repentance that only grows and progresses greater and greater and greater. Come on, we, we want... It. it is so good that when we encounter God and we begin to receive His grace, it is so good that we refuse to... Re, we refuse to move any farther and deeper into his presence and into his promise. Prove it. I'm a sinner saved by grace, brother. I've done proved it. That's how good it is. And I'm telling you that it's good. But there are greater things on the other side of this place called grace. And on this other side of this place called repentance, there's greater experiences. There's greater encounters. But I'm telling you, if we will get over just how good it was when we met God in the crossroads of a road paved by grace down the way called repentance, when he began to bring us out of the reality of sins, if we would get over just how good it was, we would begin to experience just how great he is. Come on, do you understand what I'm trying to say here this morning? It is so good that when we taste just a small, maybe insignificant, and it's never small or insignificant, but to use it in this analogy, a small, insignificant of how good grace tastes, we want to remain right there. But it was never intended for you to remain right there. It was intended for you to be translated and transfigured and transferred from that reality that was prior to this reality that is greater and greater and greater. Prove it from glory to glory to glory. Hmm? The only reason that we're not experiencing the fullness of His grace is because we have decided to remain right here in this encounter of a sinner saved by grace. That's where we, that's where we have decided to stay. That's, where not he, that's not where He intended us to stay. Listen, I can prove it. Kill the fatted calf and let's celebrate. He already had that pre prepared. He had all of that already prepared. He was already expecting and anticipating the son to come home. And I believe that he had a place made up. I believe that he had a party prepared. I believe that he had a way made. He knew and he understood. And he had a place ready. He was always intending for you to experience greater glories. I don't know if some of y'all want to experience these greater glories or not because I'm telling you. I'm going to tell you that it's a decision. 
I can preach as hard as I preach. I can preach as sincere as I preach. I can preach as long as I preach. I can pray as long as I pray, and I can cry as many tears as I've cried. But if you don't make the decision to do something with what I give you, it's no longer on me because I'm preaching what God gave me. There's not a Sunday morning that I go home and I tell Brandy, I said, I don't think I preached what God gave me. There's not a Sunday morning that I never have to discuss it because I know that I gave you what God gave me to give you, but I know that some of us ain't doing what I gave you. Not, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing with what God has gave us. Amen. It's greater than you. And I will tell you it's certainly greater than this. This, and what I'm going to say this, I'm talking about what we're doing right here. What God is wanting to do is far greater. But listen, there are many that choose to remain in the pig pen and there's nothing you can do for them. All you can do is pray and intercede that the grace of God begins to intervene. And the goodness of God begins to compel them to repentance. That's the only thing. But the sad reality is, as many within the church have found their comfortable place and they've been content within the pig pen. They've decided to slop what the man has provided them and not go home to what God has already prepared for them. It's our decision to make. It's your decision to make. And the grace of God is the power in order to give you the ability to make that decision and overcome the decisions from hereafter. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized unto Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? He was baptized. You were baptized. Uh, it, did you not know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into the, the death of Christ? You were buried and resurrected with him. That's where everything is made new. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This my son, who was dead but is alive, was lost but now is found. Do you see the correlation? For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 1, should we continue sinning that grace should abound? Verse 2, God forbid. Verse 6, should we, knowing this, that our old man is crucified, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We don't sin that grace may abound, God forbid. Knowing that our old man has been crucified, we no longer serve sin. Let me tell you why this is dangerous, and I've told you for the last several months why this is dangerous. Oh, I'm just a servant of God, brother. Yeah. <clears throat> but all you have a testimony of is how far you came 
from your pig pen. But you ain't got anything any further, any deeper, any more glorious and any grander than that. So you are actually a servant trying to pay a wage that you are incapable of paying because the wages of your sin cannot be paid by your good works. So therefore, you're still a servant to your sin. Do you? That's so simple. But listen, it's a, almost like a sleight of hand trick that the devil has pulled over on the church. That you've got to work and you've got to provide and you've got to pay your way and pay the dues of your sins. And let me tell you something. You are not doing it. You are not effective. You are not going to be able to do it. And you are actually making yourself a servant more so to your sin than you are the ones that released you from your sins we're no longer a servant to our sins in verse 6 for he that is dead is freed from sin the prodigal son died let me tell you that but the resurrected heir was the one that walked into the celebration and was the one that walked into the inhabitation and was the one that walked into the inheritance because the old prodigal, riotous, living, rebellious son that was out there trying to taste of the lusts of this world, he died. And he is now living in the resurrection of Christ beyond the place of repentance through the paved road of grace. He's walking a resurrected life in the newness of Christ. And that is the same promise that is guaranteed to you if you will begin to receive the grace that has already been extended to you. Come on. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. This my son who was dead but is alive again. How did he live the remainder of his life and where? How did he live the remainder of his life and where? He lived it in the remainder of of the presence of his father and therefore he lived a life that was filled with grace. He lived it in the inhabitation of the presence of his father and therefore everything that was his father was given to him by way of inheritance. Amen. He lived his life in a conscious state of the ever and constant presence of his father 
And that is what is so lacking in the church today. On the way up here this morning, the Lord began to convict me very harshly. Not harshly to the, I mean, it's not like a, a whooping. But it's grieving to my soul when the Lord begins to remind me that I have not been very conscious to his presence. I've been too busy to contemplate on his presence. I've been so wrapped up and wound up in everything under the sun that I've, been not, I've not been cognizant or aware that he is there. What does it hurt, preacher? Look around. What does it hurt, pastor? Look around. It's the most detrimental thing that has ever happened to the planet we call Earth is that men have become unaware and unconscious to the presence of the Father. I need a little bit more proof. Jesus comes, but his entire 33 and a half years on this earth, he was cognizant and he had a constant, continuous communion with Father God. And he made all the difference. How important is it, brother? The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and they received the same anointing by which Jesus walked in. Do you know what the anointing is? It's the grace. Do you know what it really means? It's the presence. Let me help you out here. Jesus, though he was dimensions apart and away from God, still walked in the presence of God. So therefore, even though they were, they were distant, they were not apart. They were together. In the reality and the realm called communion. In the reality and the realm called consciousness. That made all the difference. Listen, I will assure you that Jesus would have never turned a five couple loaves and a few fishes into the ability to feed 50,000 with the ability afterwards to take up seven baskets of fragments. He would have never been able to look at the lame man who came through the roof and say, thy sins are forgiven. And then be able to look at the religious elitists and say, which is easier? Thy sins are forgiven or thy be made whole. He said, but to prove to you that I have the authority to forgive sins, he looked at him and said, take up your mat and walk. He would have never been able to do that had he been distant and had he been disconnected in communion with God. Let me tell you what the issue is and why the world is going to hell in a handbag because the church has become so focused on everything under the sun but the Father. Brother, what do you think we need to do? I think we need to repent. What are you going to repent of? Maybe we need to repent of some tractors and some four-wheelers and some trucks. And maybe we need to repent of all these things that have occupied and distracted us from the presence of God that stands before us. Maybe we need to, we need to repent from a fishing trip. Maybe we need to repent from a hunting trip. Maybe we need to repent of something that we bought last week for Father. Listen, I bought a $700 table saw, and I don't care if you flinch a bat an eye. It is awesome. Did I need a $700 table saw? I convinced myself that I did. And since Brandy forgot my birthday, I figured I was, a, I was, I was, I was due a pretty good one, right? Amen. Lisa, she shakes her head. Don't you forget. Tractors say I need to 
Dodge. No, Dodge 2500 sitting out there says, I didn't forget your birthday, so you just go ahead and hush. Yeah, we didn't know. Yeah, that's, that's Brandy's truck. Maybe we need to repent from a Dodge 2500. Hmm? But you understand what I'm saying? Maybe we need to repent from some of you little guys from video games and from TikTok and from Facebook. Because listen, anything that distracts me from my conscious awareness of God may be the thing that I need to repent of. What did Leonard Ravenhill say? Man, I'm telling you what, maybe I'm getting some eyes and rolling down there. I don't know. Leonard Ravenhill said, anything that distracts me from my Bible is insignificant that it may seem as my enemy. I'm going to tell you that anything that distracts you from the presence of God is your enemy, regardless of how insignificant it may be. You can have your stuff. You can do your things. But here's where I'm repenting today, and I'm, here's where I'm, I'm admitting my fault. I've enjoyed the things, and I've enjoyed the events, and I've enjoyed life. But I failed to be cognizant and aware that God was there. Let me help this kind of sink in a little bit better. If you come to my house and I'm so busy and so distracted with what I'm doing, whether I'm on a video game, a phone, or a TV, or whatever it may be, or maybe I'm just, I, I'm, I'm so occupied with my thoughts that I don't even acknowledge that you're there, you will soon feel as though you're not welcome and you will leave. And as that continues to happen over and over and over, you may be less likely to come visit me. How many of you will go to a friend's house and sit there while they're not acknowledging you and just sit there and remain in silence? How many of you will continue to go and knock on a friend's house if they pretend like they're not home? I'm just asking, how many of you would do that? You wouldn't, but then we do because we refuse and we fail to acknowledge the presence of God and that is the grace of God. You've been with me always and all that is mine is yours. Probably one of the saddest, and I've said this before, maybe one of the saddest statements and scriptures in the Bible. Don't be so focused on you. That's the issue. Everything that hinders me is me. Did you hear what I said? Everything and anything that hinders me from receiving what God has for me is me. And it's time that I get over it. It's time that I make sure that I do all that I can to be cognizant and aware of his presence in my life. His grace. His presence. His provisions. His protections. His promise. His purpose. That's all the grace of God. Amen.
Let me make sure I've done at least an hour, an hour and two minutes. I can, I can, I can feel good about an hour, okay? I can't do 30 minutes. A man one time told me, said, if you preach a sermon more than 30 minutes, you ain't got a sermon, you got a monster. I'm going to tell you, I have delivered a lot of monsters. But I've never delivered a sermon. <laughs> Amen. God is good. And God is graceful. And I just pray, and I, I just want to release. I want to release the, the, the grace for receptivity, or for reception. God, that we could receive this word today. God, that we could, we could begin to receive it. God, that we begin to resonate. God, that we would reflect, we would remember. God, what the word has said here today, what the revelation has begun to give to us here today. God, that we would start to become more cognizant and aware to your presence. God, I think the answer to everything that we deal with is the lack of presence. No, 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 not the lack, not the lack of presence but the lack of consciousness and awareness to your presence. God, we know that you are Jehovah Shammah. God is there, which simply means that God is present everywhere. And God, we repent here today that we've not been aware, we've not been cognizant. God, we've not even been mindful of the reality of your presence. And Father, I pray that you show us mercy and kindness and grace as we repent. And God, that you would lead us into deeper, grander, and greater realities and dimensions of your presence. Father, I think that permission into those dimensions and into those realities is granted through our awareness, through our cognizance, through our consciousness. Let us hone and let us keen in on our consciousness of your presence. Let us fine tune the frequency, God, of our souls that we can tune in to the transmission of your presence. That we could feel the embrace of your spirit. That we could feel the touch of your hand. That not a moment would pass us that we would not be aware that he is here. So Father, we ask that you bless us with a grace, a power to become more cognizant to your presence, the fulfillment of grace. Father, we ask that you'll be with our families. God, that you'll grace them. Father, I know that some of us have loved ones that are dealing with some tremendous, tremendous difficulties. Father, that they struggle with the inability to even know where they are and who some people are. They struggle with knowing their reality. But Lord, I pray that right now that they'll never struggle with knowing your presence. And I pray that as much, that as much of their life is unknown, I pray that the most known part of their life is you and your presence. And in that reality, 
is a greater peace. Father, I pray that, God, that you just begin to come, come upon their hearts. Lord, as the Bible says, it's the mercy and the grace of God that was intended to melt the hearts of men. I know that there's circumstances, God, like these that are incomprehensible, unfathomable, and they're unfair. But God, I pray that your grace in these moments are more than sufficient. I pray that you're with the families, Lord, that struggle, that hurt because of the unknown and the uncertainty. But let the one thing be known. Let this one thing be certain. You've heard their prayers. You've heard their cries. And God, you've came to investigate. And you've came to present your presence even in the midst of what seems to be an absence. Seems to me nothing but a dark hole. But I pray today, God, closure in knowing that you feel the void and the absence with your presence and your person. And that your mercy, that your mercy and your grace is far greater than being just sufficient, but it's abundant and we love you. And Father, we pray for those that aren't here today, that you bless them with the same grace that you bestowed upon us, your presence and the knowledge of your presence. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you'll bless the hearts that are here. I pray that there's a transition from impotency to wholeness. And from their glory to glory to glory. In Jesus' name. Father, we ask that you heal our church. You heal our community. You heal our nation. And from there, we'll heal the world. Because your grace, and only your grace, Lord, it is sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen. Our vision for the Rooted Legacy podcast is that we give as much free content to God's creation as possible. However, if you've been affected by God's word and would like to give, you can do so at Tithely Online or on the Tithely app. Just search Laurel Branch Church of God. Our address is Clear Fork, West Virginia, 24822. That is tithely.ly, T-I-T-H-E dot L-Y. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and all that you do today.